Let's fucking go. Just, just rip ass. Maybe. <laughs> Men. <laughs> hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. And I'm John. And welcome back to the love of cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we have decided to make this here episode a drinking game. Ooh. That's right. Anytime you hear this sound. There it is. Okay. okay. If you hear us, that buzzer means that we have said something negative and therefore we have to take a drink. We hope you drink along with us at home. Pour yourselves a glass. Let's go. Before we talk about men, we have to also acknowledge that Dave who is our co-host, and he produces this episode with us, is from Australia. Shout out to Queensland. Shout out to Adelaide. Shout out to Melbourne. Shout out Don't to you try to name all the Perth. territories in the States. And the- Shout out to everywhere else that Mad Max filmed. Um- <laughs> <laughs> all the places. Gold Coast, Cambria. Did what else they- do we know about Australia? That's the- it. The place that burned in the fire. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. oh, come on. I got it. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Heal, okay. Australia. Heal. So anyway, heal. Heal. We are rooting for you and that ozone layer right above you and your coral reef. We're really fucking rooting for you. So far, my favorite part of Dave's trip to Australia is he sent Jeff and I a picture of a leaf that looks like a dick and balls. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's oh so God. far. That is uh, the highlight of. Dave's vacation yep. for me. He also went to I, Hawaii, uh, which was awesome. He sent us some really fun pictures. Uh, yeah, no, Dave, we miss you, dude. Have fun. Enjoy your time off, dude. And hopefully our fans don't, um, our listeners, I should say, or fans, if you consider yourself a fan, uh, don't mind that the audio is going to sound uh, a, little, a little different. A little, different, a little different. Not as good. We are jankety. Dave is our technician and the sorry. master. And sorry, but deal with us. We'll have fun regardless. Yeah. And you can pick on us about how <laughs> shitty it sounded after the fact. He gave me, he gave me very clear instructions of how to download OBS and run the buzzer file through it, and I didn't do it, but I, I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do it. Oh, boy. It would cr- to be fair, and Dave knows this, it would crash my computer. Okay, so. True story. We are two men talking about men. This is a dream podcast for every single person <laughs> out there. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we got to keep it light here. We got to keep it light. That's, that's got to that's gotta happen, because I've, I've seen other podcasts and other reviewers, all of whom were men, all the people who were laughing at this in the theater that I saw this, it was only male voices that I heard laughing at this. And this is definitely a movie. Laughing which, at this. I can't wait to unpack that. Well, laughing at this. There, there were some, I guess, moments of humor. I don't know if I personally laughed out loud, but um, there were there were there was laughter and it was sure. all male for sure. And the men are definitely not the protagonists in this movie, um, which we can get to here in a second. Um, but we're talking about it. So this is. Men, that's right, it's called Men. It is written and directed by Alex Garland, who you may know from such films as Ex Machina, Mm. Annihilation, which we're still trying to figure out what that was about, Mm. and Devs, which John, you saw, which was a limited series. I did see it. Hulu. It was on Hulu. This film, Men, stars Jesse Buckley as Harper, recent Academy Award nominee for The First Daughter. Not The First Daughter, The 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 Lost lost daughter. Daughter. Or Rory just Ki- lost daughter? I can't remember. I'll go through the IMDb billing. Oh, yeah. If you're new to the podcast, we'll try to keep it spoiler-free for a couple minutes. Rory Kinnear is in this movie. And um, not a lot of other big names. 
<laughs> that I would say. But before we, and we're going to keep it spoiler free for like five, maybe five, ten minutes or so at tops. But before we actually dive into what we thought about the movie, the feel, let's go ahead and shout our people out really quick, John. <laughs> Who are our, sponsors? our people. Let's do it. We uh, we have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barozzo. You can find him on Instagram at cbarozzo.beer. That is C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O dot B-E-E-R. Follow the show notes if you want to just go straight there and give him a like, a love, a follow, all the things. Do it to us as well. Our information is in the show notes. And as always, the music provided at the beginning and end of every single episode is by the artist Dasein. Head on over to... Uh, soundcloud.com forward slash docine dash artist or just click that link in the show notes and you will be able to listen to all that music for free please support our sponsors please like love and talk shit about us and we'll talk shit back to you it's going to be a fun time we will talk shit back to you it's usually dave (laughs) so if you write in the next week (laughs) you might get a response from australia it might be a leaf in the shape of a penis penis. (laughs) oh my god man (laughs) right Man, okay. I here's here's what I would like to have on the agenda. Why don't we start with our initial takeaways, feeling recommendations, etc., and then maybe we go pretty quickly to the spoilers, I, or maybe right after that we could talk about. I kind of wanted to bring up the A.O. Scott review that I mentioned to you, where he yeah, talks, I read that today. We can talk about that. He yeah. uses he uses words like feminism and mansplaining and such, and I think that we can unpack it because. Men are going to see this movie and talk about it. Women are going to see this movie and talk about it. Maybe the conversation is going to be different. But, you know, that, that, that's that's part of this movie's experience. And I think everybody who made this film probably expected that. So um, we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, and since there's a lot of allegory and fable, you know, I kind of want to leave that more open-ended in the spoiler section. So if there is a way. Oh, and then the, and a little bit about Alex Garland and what you bring mm-hmm. into this movie. Why don't we start with that, and then we'll do our initial takeaway. So, obviously, Ex Machina is incredible. We did a podcast on... Did we do it? We never did Ex Machina, did we? We did just... We? I feel like we praise it periodically because it, <laughs> we, it, yeah. it won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. Obviously, the story is brilliant. It's digestible. It makes sense, which I think is the only of his movies that you can say, like, when you leave the movie, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say... And I'm not, I'm not going to look this up. I would say it probably has the the smallest budget, the film budget for a best visual effects winner at the Oscars in decades. Like that Xbox, it was such a little movie that could, and then it won fucking best visual effects for all of yeah, the work it did. Prob- to, that's probably a good argument. Um, for that, yeah. To um, Alicia Vikander's character, you saw Devs. What what do you think about Alex Garland coming into to this? Which I'm sure was a surprise well, yeah. I mean, let's also people. let's also just let's just refresh people and remind them that he came on the scene as the director with Ex Machina, but he was first, you know, for over a decade, a very successful screenwriter. He wrote The Beach, he wrote 28 Days Later, and he wrote Sunshine. Um, two of those were very successful Danny Boyle movies that really launched his career as a director. Probably influenced this one a little <clears throat> bit, actually, I would say. I think so, too. I mean, so he's always, like, touching with some kind of horrific elements tend to find their ways into his worlds. He often plays with technology as a part of that or some kind of major change in society. Um, so I think he's, uh, I, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about this yet, but the weight of Alex Garland being the person who made this, I think is why some people are having a tough time swallowing this one specifically. I'm going to unpack that statement more in the latter half of our show, but it's the anxiety of expectation of a certain uh, kind of artist or whatever. And we can't help but project our own emotions onto work especially when it has to do with us. And like, this is so the allegory 
and the symbolism in this is so uh, Sorry. <laughs> obvious. No, you're good. It's so obvious. And it's, I think it's supposed to be. And I think some people are struggling with that. But my general takeaway is that I really enjoy this film. And, and I completely understand why a lot of people are not enjoying this film. This is a quick one. It's an hour 40. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like it, the, the old Bergman, like dark, you know, he, he like lived around an hour and 30, hour and 40, Ingmar Bergman. And you just don't see movies that rock and roll like that much anymore. So this was in one way, it was kind of refreshing just from an exhibition standpoint, because I, I haven't seen a movie this short that was a serious movie in a very long time. So that was kind of cool, kind of caught me off guard. I didn't know that going in. Um, the, the acting is remarkable. I don't care what anybody says. I, I yeah. think Rory Kinnear this is not a spoiler because you, you figure it out very quickly. I think he plays multiple characters in this movie and it's, it's part of the symbolism and the commentary and he's magnificent. And I'm obsessed with Jesse Buckley. I think I've only seen her do two things now, but Same. good yeah. God almighty. We praised the hell out of her and lost daughter. And she did not let me down here either. Um, it reminded me of us in the sense that um, Jordan Peele's film us just because you know, so often horror movies are associated with uh, younger, lesser known actors and and therefore maybe a campier style. Not true th- th- with these. I mean, this movie took itself seriously and the acting was was top notch. Um, and it was I don't know, it was a movie about adults dealing with adult themes. And I, I just I'm, I'm always going to be in support of filmmakers getting a chance to make that kind of stuff. So it, it worked for me. I think there are things about the symbolism and the allegory that we're going to unpack more. And I understand why it's bothering people. I understand why some people don't even want to see this movie. But I think ultimately I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to make an argument for why I think it works. But you have to stay tuned for that. Jeff, what do you think? I'm, I'm 100 percent with you. Um, Good. A little bit about Jesse Buckley too. She was Juliet in a Romeo and Juliet. Those are greatest performances. So she is a she's she's not like a come out of nowhere actress. Like she was a workhorse actress who now oh, yeah. it like <clears throat> she she has earned her moment. The Academy Award nomination was a surprise to a lot of people, probably including her. Uh, but now she's going to be in a whole bunch of shit. So she's get, so get ready fucking to, good, dude. Yeah. She's so good. Get ready to get ready to see more of her. You brought up two things that are really interesting. Number one, and us Jordan Peele's us. Um, Jordan Peele's us was very out there concepts. I think it was trying to be genre subverting, but the it had, it had to get explainy at a certain point, whereas this movie never tries to get explainy. It's it's funny, and, and you mentioned the other thing was um, that the, the allegory is obvious. I think what's, what it balances really well is the obvious allegory with poetry, which is something yeah. that I don't see in a lot of the reviews, but there, there, there are there are references, direct references to poems in this. Whether you actually know the poems or not, I didn't. I kind of looked these up afterwards. But poetry is notably abstract. Oh fuck my logic, man! My logic just okay. Right, let me get it rolling again. Let me get it rolling again. Oh, you're good. Um, <laughs> Technical I'm difficulty. I'm in the middle of a fucking thought, Dave. <laughs> oh, good shitty buzz there for you too. Damn it! Um, oh, okay. now we're like totally paused. And Jeff, can you hear me? Can you see me? Yeah, I can hear you. Now we're gonna be great. Oh, Jeff, can you hear me? Can you see me? I can hear you. I can see you. Oh, we're You're frozen. Great. I can hear you in a happy way. You're frozen on my end. I'm not doing anything out of the normal here. Here, let's let this settle. This Wait is good. Wait a second here. Is this good audio, good video for everybody? Can you rotate oh, a little there you go. bit? Yeah. yeah, now that you rotate, this is good. Wait, so let me get back into my thoughts. Um, so A.O. Scott actually mentions um, Get Out as his genre subverting film. And I, it's almost like 
conceptually it's closer to us, but because us gets explainy, I like I like get up in that it's it's abstractness a little bit, just like a little bit more just kind of click for me. And A.O. Scott mentioned Get Out too, which is interesting. We're gonna get to that article soon. But um this it's 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 still nobody you can't tell me exactly what this movie's about. Like nobody can, and I do actually really appreciate that. But at the same time, it's not so confusing that you leave bewildered. <laughs> so like I, I left Annihilation, for instance, with I, I really liked it. The whole idea of the prism and the light reflecting and time acting differently and colors and and age and all of that kind of stuff was so interesting. But ultimately, I was like, I really don't know what this movie's about at all. Whereas this, because the allegory was right on the nose, and you see it in the trailer, so it's not a spoil. But the most obvious of which being she she the, eats the title. She, <laughs> Men, yes, but she gets to the she gets to this house and there's a f- apple tree in the front yard and she eats the apple. So obviously it's Eve yeah. and it's so obvious. And there's the joke that Rory Kinnear makes, which is in the movie, which is like, oh, don't eat the apple, forbidden fruit and whatnot. Oh, just kidding. Huh. And it's like this bad joke and he doesn't even he purposefully doesn't tell it well, but it's like so on the nose and so obvious. And then of course all of this terrible stuff starts happening afterwards, and we'll get a little bit more into it. But it then it gets then it gets so poetic and it's like but but he he Alex Garland has admitted he's intentionally subverting horror genre. So he literally says, "I thought this would be a good horror thing, but I wanted to spin on it." So I don't know if that's I don't know if he's admitting to something or if he's just not showing us the seams at all and he's just telling us what's on the surface. So because I don't think that he would go into a film being like, "How do I pretend to be a horror movie and flip it?" Like I do think that theologically there was more going on. I think he actually is very well read, and I think he had an intention that. He'll never explain to us, you know, I'm not saying this is like 2001, but it's like a 2001 where they intentionally left it out there for everybody to interpret. Um, and it works. This, this definitely works for me. I'll see it again. I'm still not going to know much more, but but I'm curious. I'm curious to to engage with this more. That's what I said. Oh, yes, dude. I'm so glad you said that when we walked, Elizabeth and I saw this together and that's going to be part of my commentary. I think we'll go into spoilers very soon. But she asked me, she was like, do you think Jeff's going to like this one? And I said, I think he will. Elizabeth, <laughs> ask me. She, you, you reach out to me sometimes. Ask me, I'll tell you. Because we, like, we were just talking about how like all of us like Alex Garland a lot. And I was like, you know what? We see, he seems to be one of the guys that like you don't even need to, to love his movies or understand his movies for all three of us to tend to agree that he's worth watching. Like even the ones that are, like you're saying, are headier or not very understandable. You're just... We keep using this phrase. Uh, there's one of my professors at school that keeps using this phrase um, whenever they're watching our stuff in a complimentary way. If if somebody has earned it, where they say um, we're in safe hands, I feel like I'm oh, in yeah. safe hands. Yeah. And God damn it, we can pick apart this movie if we want. And I understand why for some people they will never get on board. But you are in safe hands. Alex Garland knows what the fuck he's doing. And all of this was the movie he wanted to make. And yeah. whether or not you that's, agree with it, yeah. you know, that there is intention behind him. It's poetic. So I think there's that's why it's so lovely. And I think that it might be I think it's better than is getting credit for. And I just I was I, I remember when I walked out, I was like, that was kind of exactly what I wanted this to be in a in a transcendent way. It, it surpassed my expectations in a lot of strange ways. And I think I think I said something like that's the kind of movie I wish I had the nuts to make. Like I wish yeah. well, at, when I'm on top like him getting anything I made, I want to get made. I wish I have the balls to go out and make this movie, which is so crazy. This is, it felt like a first time director's art movie. You know what I mean? Like that really, let me try to put my, set myself apart. He was like, no, 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 I can, I can make movies like this and I can go, I don't know. I'm just so excited. So yeah. proud that he was, that he was able to get it made. 
and fuck all the haters. I can't wait to talk about it more. Well, we're such a, my brother sent me something really interesting that isn't about this movie, but it's about, um, oh, who the fuck was it that was complaining about um, if you only, if studios only fund big budget movies, which isn't going to happen. And, and honestly, the streamers might actually save us here. So I'm never going to be anti Amazon Prime, even though they don't pay taxes. I'm never going to be anti-Netflix, even though they're going to take my pass. They're going to not let me use John's password anymore. I'm, like, I'm never going to be <laughs> anti these places because the truth is this, and we were not so hot on the North Bend, but the fact that there are still movies being made with somewhat of a budget by directors to say what they want to say. I do hope it includes more than just men because I just mentioned two male movies, but um I hope Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal will get money that's not going to necessarily be from Netflix. She'll keep getting money. Like, other directors will keep getting to make these kinds of movies. And I hope we can see them in the theaters. I'm sure it would be fine on TV, too. But, like, I... Even if you're confused, even if you think it didn't... If it was taciturn or it didn't come... It didn't, you know, close for you. It didn't... You didn't like the ending. Maybe you got bored at certain points. The fact that there are directors who get to make what they want to make, I think, is a good thing with a budget. Because there's always yeah. going to be a student director making money that nobody's going to see that their parents paid for. But like, <laughs> no disrespect to that. But like, this is a third movie. And I don't know if he would have gotten this made first if he didn't have Ex Machina and then, of course, Annihilation. But oh, really, Ex yeah, Machina is his golden sure, ticket. No, same no, thing no, with, yeah. with, Egg, with Eggers making The Witch, which again, was the movie that yeah, he wanted to shit. make. But I don't think he's he makes The Northman if he doesn't make The it's Witch. The, so. Chris Nolan was in a Q&A somewhere once and they said how did you get the studio to let you make prestige and his answer was you make batman begins <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know? so but it's cool that these directors don't have to they don't have to make a batman movie you know what i mean so i feel like we, we should sell they don't have that. to but, but, no yeah i know yeah I totally know what you mean well let's let's get into it dude because i think uh it's not even spoilery but i feel like i just don't want to i don't want to cloud anyone's judgment with our opinions like it's this jeff you nailed it dude this is closer to poetic cinema in a sense with with the horror genre being there you're definitely going to get scared and disturbed and grossed out there's some body horror and stuff um a lot of dread in this movie so like dude, please don't read anything about it just just go watch it and let it kind of wash over you and then you can listen to the rest of this if you want to and hear us what we think. Because I do think I got a lot out of this. We had a good, Elizabeth and I had a good conversation in the car. And if, I like talking about his movies just a little bit, just to kind of gather my thoughts. So you might want to listen to this when you're done, but do not read any articles. Don't listen to people talk about it. I think you should go watch it cold. Well, can I just, can I just mention this? I'll, I'll bring up the article. I swear we're going to talk about the movie more in depth to all of you other people out there. But <laughs> can, I, can I bring up the A.O. Scott thing really quick? Just the last okay, line. Dude, bring so, it up, dude. so he mentions the poems. And the two poems specifically that he mentions are um, Leda and the Swan, which is a poem I read for this because I was very curious about it. And apparently it's this poem where a woman sees a swan and it's a beautiful animal. And the swan is actually Zeus in the form of a swan and who rapes her. And, you know, she was taken advantage by the god of thunder in the worst imaginable possible way. And they call that out when they were like, I'm a swan. I was really interested in the movie. I was like, what does that even mean? And it's a direct relation to this. And then when the vicar later quotes the, um, he quotes uh, the, the, the sirens, Ulysses, the Ulysses Ulyss and the sirens, yeah, Ulysses the Odysseus, and it's from the Odyssey. And, you know, he, he's essentially saying that the sirens are going to warp. They're, they're going to drive men crazy. So he makes all of the men close their ears so they can't listen to the, the sirens because it's the sirens fault that, they, that the men go crazy. Because in this movie, a lot of it is blame. A lot of it is, is it's the woman's fault. The, she experiences um, a, a very serious loss of her husband. That, that's not a spoiler. That's very early in the film. And she's mo going to this place by herself to get away from that. And 
these every everything's her fault is basically how this is sort of that's to unravel this and I'm, I don't actually mean that I'm saying in the film what's represented is this idea that when men are um, being aggressive they, they blame the woman they blame the woman for all of their ills and for all of their faults and that's definitely something that he takes head on so A.O. Scott mentions these poems and he talks about poetry and allegory. If able, this is A.O. Scott from the New York Times. He's one of their chief, one of their top critics. And at the end of the article, his last line is, there isn't really an argument here. And what looks like feminism is more like mansplaining. And uh, there's two things that stand out. Number one, there's, there isn't really an argument here. Why does there have to be? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's presenting all of these things, but he's not a lawyer. He's not defending a... Uh, he's not he's, he's not making a case he's making a film so i, I don't know i don't even understand why it's got it's almost like he needed to find a line and he just wanted it to be flashy I, i'm very confused as to why he said there isn't an argument here there are plenty of films out there that aren't an argument they're an exploration they're a slice of life there's so many you don't have to argue for anything but then of course you know feminism and mansplaining these are important because yes these are men making movies where men are the antagonist and this is also about a woman going through grief so it's like the question I don't want to sit here and like defend men and say like we should be able to, to you know make movies about women. I, that's not my point. My point is, why is it that any time that a man from in this particular moment takes on this kind of issue, it, it's either feminism, mansplaining, or both? Like, why, why is it that well, that Ao Scott of all people is quick to jump to these terminology when it almost seems like the allegory and the poetry was? It's almost like he was like, I know this stuff exists. This is Alex Garland, so. I just want to explore it, and this is what I want to do. And if somebody else wants to do that too, that's that's totally great. But like, I hope I hope I can, I hope I can just I can work on this too. I hope that I I have a, a space in this. I don't want to take that space away from anybody else. I don't want to pretend like I'm the voice of reason on feminism or whatever. If this isn't even a, a feminist film, which I don't know that it is either. I don't know why A.O. Scott chose that word, but it's very curious when it comes to men making movies and men talking about movies, it's very male dominated industry that one of the chief critics at the New York times immediately is like, this is mansplaining, but it's not explaining anything, this movie. So it's very curious. What is your take on this, John, as, as somebody who's making films? So I don't want to throw you into the lion's den of this no, I mean, sensitive issue, but I think Alex Garland definitely made this on purpose with exactly what you're saying. I, 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 I would, I don't know the man, but I've heard him speak quite a bit in interviews and, and he seems to be someone who is aware enough of what he thinks art and intellectualism should, should do in terms of commentary and how it should interact with these kinds of issues in society. And I would, I would, I would imagine that he doesn't think that these things are off limits. My biggest point that I think I'm going to try to unravel in my feedback on this film is that this movie was not made for women. I don't wow. think it was made for women to see. I think every wow. sensation that Jesse Buckley experiences, women experience without the horror of this movie. And I think men, and I think he honestly made this, and this is what I was talking about, the indicative, obvious nature of it. It's not, I don't think he's trying to hide. It's interesting that he used a vehicle of poetic, you know, cinema to try to talk about something that is so obvious. Um if I had to say something to rebut against against um, against the critics, it would be that sometimes I think men, and I think Alex Garland knows this, <laughs> I think he probably sees it in himself, and that's why he chose to make this movie, is that if we don't find 
the most interesting intellectual way to try to prove a point that could simply be felt very, very easily, then it has lesser value. And I think his whole, this whole reason, this whole thing that he was trying to make, and I think he did it in such an interesting way, is that, is that this, this, it is a fact. It is a fact that like half of the world feels this way often. This blame, this interrogation, this, uh, this intimidation, the, the, the fear, the constant relentlessness pursuit. Every, there are so many, we're starting to get into spoiler territory, folks. So feel free to sign off. I don't know if we need to make it official, but let's just start. There are so many aspects of beauty that are literally just cinematic, gorgeous beauty. There's a sequence where she goes on a walk and he is very clearly just like flexing like cinematography muscles. It's early, like, it's in the trailer, yeah. Gorgeous, you know, like it's about her being affected by nature. She's seeking the solace and this peace and she's getting it. And then at the end of this tunnel, a fucking naked man stands up and just starts walking toward her. <laughs> literally, like it doesn't get more obvious to me than that. Dick out. This guy just starts walking toward her and immediately there is sexuality and there is fear and intimidation. And it doesn't for the rest of the movie. It is sustained. It goes up. It gets grosser and weirder. And Rory Kinnear plays every single man. Alex Garland isn't trying to hide that. It's fucking obvious. The actor plays every single man. So they all become this man. So I feel like this is a, this is just like to what, I don't know, to, to him, I would say that, um, damn, what's his name? Roy um, Yeah. No, no, excuse me. Um, the critic. Oh, A.O. Scott. A.O. Scott. I would say that, like, this is just one of those things where, like, it's almost like if you were expecting some uh, intellectual uh, orgasmic epiphany of he finally, he finally figured out a way to get me to think into what, what these women are feeling, then you're never going to actually understand what women are feeling because women feel this way. They don't think this way. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that is a black and white statement that it's linear, but I think Alex Garland was trying to get us to understand that if you are, that's why it's poetic. If you are trying to intellectualize all of these issues that we're talking about with the conflict and gender, then you're missing the whole fucking point. The point is that this is how men make women feel every single fucking day. And I, and it was just so obvious to me when we went, when we were leaving the theater that like, it was affecting, it affected me in, in so many interesting and different ways than, and I think, I think Elizabeth was just more like, there was nothing new for me in that movie. Like even with all the, the really crazy body horror and the, 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 the way the gore is used is, is very, oh, yeah, we'll you know, that. A, lot of, a lot of interestingly effective. placed vaginas for sure. Unbelievable. But I still, I still ultimately do believe that like, this is a, if you're a man that is waiting for the intellectualization if that's even a fucking word of this issue, then you might be part of the problem because it's a lot simpler than that. And I think this movie is simple for a reason. Well, and and actually, the the allegory, the 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 blanket of this allegory of Adam and Eve, the the it's it's I think it's pretty obvious that. So, there's an inciting incident. I, I I'm teaching this into the woods medley right now at school. Sorry for anybody who's not a musical theater fan, but it's. One of the stories is Little Red Riding Hood, but she actually is understands that the wolf is an aggressor. <laughs> it's, it's basically like if she survives it, like now her innocence is dead. It's the death of innocence, I would say, is what the I Know Things Now is about. And she mm. even says at the end, like, now I know, you know, this stuff happens. Like, it's great to know a lot, 
but a little bit not. And it's like one of the most brilliant endings of a song because it's like, you know what? Innocence is great. Like we need to know these things so that we can live because if we don't know these things, we will fucking die. But it kind of sucks that we have to know these things. And in this, she eats the apple. And the only man she has seen up until this point is Jeffrey, who's the guy in the trailer. And he's very country, as they like to say. It's Roy Kinnear and he's got fucked up teeth and he's making bad jokes. Toothy. (laughs) And then as soon as she eats the apple, the next man she meets is this guy in the woods who's very obviously Adam. He's naked and he has fucking trees growing out of him. Like, I would say he's Adam if she's Eve. And from there on, every man is it's, it's turned. So, again, it's this idea of like. It's men are blaming like it's her like they, they could try to frame it like it was, it's her fault for eating the apple, which is such horseshit. That's like the birth of patriarchy, essentially, is when fucking Eve eats this goddamn apple. But but yeah, you're right. You nailed that whole sequence. You're exactly what you're saying. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. They have the the choral music is is incredible. I, mm. I'm a fucker. I'm a I'm a fucker. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a I'm a, <laughs> I'm a sucker for choral music. Also, really quick. Let me give you a little musical lesson here. So this is uh, Into the Unknown, as you have this. That's from uh, Frozen 2, which is the same as Squid Games. What the fuck was that? I was in a musical moment, you asshole. God damn it. The shit just, just came on. Out of the, that was not Squid Games. What was Squid Games? Tell me, tell me what Squid Games. <laughs> that was hilarious. Is that your ringtone? Get the. I was using the speaker and it's attached to the TV. She must have turned on a television show. <laughs> My bad. All right, I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so Destroyed. Squid your Game moment. is exactly the same as Into the Unknown. Over and over again. And what it is, it's based on four notes and the high note and the notes fall. The notes are falling. So in 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 classical or this actually Chloe gave me this, but from choral music and classical music, it's essentially like the descent into hell or into death is this just these descending notes that want to stay up high. It, they want to stay here, but they can't help it. They keep kind of dripping down. So they play with that same idea in this tunnel and they have this. Which sounds very major, but they make it fucking haunting and dissonant, and they do it over and over and over and over again. So it's almost like it sounds bright and it sounds nice, but then Adam is is essentially born as a, a predator, and and from then on, this beautiful landscape, everything about it is terrifying, everything about it is haunting, and it's like innocence is dead, and everywhere she goes in this town is is a risk. She can't even go to a fucking church because there's a 12 year old boy that tells her to fuck off with the creepy, you know, CGI, which is almost intentionally like, <laughs> it's almost like they were like, let's do the Irishman, but the opposite and fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the vicar, you know, the priest who basically says like, but wait, if you know, is it your fault that your husband killed himself? Because you know, he wouldn't have killed himself. Maybe there's another way of handling this. And you know, it's like, she can't even go to a priest about this. It's like, and maybe that back to your scene. point about, yeah, go ahead. That scene was, I think, I think my two favorite scenes in terms of like what we're talking about are the vicar's scenes. And the first one, he does what men do. He, I think there is an intellectual analysis of her trying to cope with her partner, her ex-partner's suicide, potential suicide, possible suicide, whatever, I guess, however we choose to believe what it was. Um, And it's not a, it's, it's not helpful to her to try to understand. You don't think so? I mean, I mean, it doesn't, it has very little to do with like the, the grief itself and more about trying to, I don't know. I felt like, I feel like that struck such a, it struck such a, uh, an appropriate tone that I feel like I have heard like in passing and secondary over the past several years since the Me Too movement, especially when men try to kind of very calmly and intellectually try to, 
poke holes in the logic of. And trying to get her to confess. It it actually seemed like he was defending. He tried to, he was asking her provocative questions almost to to get like, like a vicar tactic to almost say like, but if you did this, then maybe that. Yes. Leading question. And so like, and she said, there was like, wait a second, you can't fuck me up. Like I'm from London. Like you can't do this to me. Like I see what you're doing and it's bullshit. And it builds, this whole thing builds again. We're kind of going all over the place now, but this, I mean, this, this whole movie is building and building. Um, It gets to this point where the men turn become, I kind of don't want to reveal how exactly they they become one. I know we're in the spoiler section. We'll get get there. We'll get there. Um, But there's a scene later in the movie where the vicar confronts her again inside her home. And he says a few very poignant lines, I think, which is, I think it's just the nutshell again, of that sensational thing, the the way women probably feel. And I think it doesn't even matter if it's a hundred percent objectively true. It it is totally subjective. What the vicar says to her, he says, he quotes the line from the poetry that you were talking about earlier. And then he says, I have convinced myself that you are an expert in all the, uh, in all things uh, conical that you know exactly what to do and what to have done to you. And I blame you for it. Like, yeah. And like that literally it's like Alex Garland could not, I'm sure I want to know like how much time he spent on trying to find the most succinct way to say that I am a man, man of God, whatever. I'm sure that, you know, the symbolism had a lot to do with it, but I'm a man. And because I am so convinced that you know exactly how to fuck, it is all your fault. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. like anything that blame? happens to you is your fault like and it's all right and i just feel like yeah we can talk about the intellectual again like i understand what people are saying like god that's so obvious but you know what it is that fucking obvious and i i i'm not a woman but i have a feeling that's why they're so goddamn angry about these conversations there is no conversation anymore there's no need to have the conversation that's what it feels like shut the fuck up just like just deal with that's, it that's yeah. exactly what it feels like that's right. You Stop fucking this, making us feel like we're thing. fucking sexual victims. Like, it's think, just ridiculous. So my biggest takeaway, not to again, not to jump right to the end of this, but I'm hoping people listening to this really want a more in-depth conversation and we're not ruining the movie for them. But the idea that Rory Kinnear plays everybody, it's got to be... Brilliantly, by the way. He's wonderful. He's in all so of his, great. He's so good in everybody. It's unbelievable. Really great. His I, point I honestly, of view is so specific. Honest, <laughs> I, know this sounds, I know this sounds crazy. I saw the trailer. I didn't know for like half an hour into this movie that it was him doing everywhere. It wasn't until it was the kid where I was like, okay, for sure. Cause, cause I was, I saw it in the Eve character, but it, the, the Adam character, but it kind of looked like, um, it kind of looked like, uh, 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 the oldest, the dad's Stellan Skarsgård in Dune, where it's like, he's, he almost looks different. Like I, it didn't, I don't know. I was like, well, maybe yeah, it's just yeah, somebody yeah, who yeah. looks like him. It wasn't until the kid's face where I was like, is this a 12 year old motherfucker? God damn it. They're all fucking broken here. So back to the overplay of the, the Adam versus Eve. Also, we have to acknowledge the fact that this movie's this movie is probably filmed in 2021. They, they know what was going on in the world. They, they, they're aware, like, come on. He's, I know Alex Garland's British, by the way, he's not American, but it's the conversations are happening everywhere. He knows what we're talking about. And the idea that, the, the idea of the patriarchy really it all comes back to Adam and Eve that we're still we're still blaming by we I mean men are still blaming women for, for something that didn't happen right <laughs> yeah. fucking didn't happen I'm sorry it didn't yeah. happen and so this is all her fault so the idea that Roy Kinnear is playing everybody and and it, it, I think it gets done pretty well in this 
weird birthing sequence that happens over and over again, which I want to talk about her because we keep talking about the guys, but I want to talk about her reaction to this and the boredom that she gets out of the monotony of the villain, you know, the monotony of the, yes, gro- dude. the, of yes. the grotesque of the male, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I got too. I was like, I'm bored of this now. And, and so does she, but it's like, one man is every man the same way that one woman is every woman. So if we're going to blame all women for Eve, which again is bullshit, but like it seems to be that that is where patriarchy is founded on, then then if there's one man outside, it's 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 every man and, and vice versa. Like if it's like one man is capable of all of these qualities, like even if it's somebody like as charming and country as Jeffrey, he could be the, the, the vicar who fucks her life up and Adam who, you know, wants to stand outside naked and stare inside and blame, you know what I mean? Like he, he is all of these people. Um, at the same way, all of these men are Adam, <laughs> who, um, like it or not, continue to conceive with Eve and still blame her for things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or whatever. So I, I thought that that was played really well at the end. And, and again, I still don't understand the movie to say it like that. Well, let's like, be, let's, let's walk that out because really I want to, I'm glad you brought that up because let's, all right, let's be specific now just so everybody can catch up with this because let's assume you have watched the movie. So this terrorizing starts to happen over the second or third night that she's there. She she doesn't leave. She decides to stay. She, and the, she starts to realize that they're the same men. They're all attacking her house. And like the lights go on and off outside and they just disappear. And then another one of them, you know, appears. Again, this is like Roy Kinnear is playing all these people. So this terrorizing starts to happen. And this very interesting thing takes place where it's the Adam character initially who really does approach her and attack her. And then he reaches his hand through the mail slot and she stabs him. And it, the knife ends up like splitting his hand apart, which is a mirror image to what her uh, ex-partner's suicide. So graphic, man. That was final. Yeah. Oh my God. His final dying position. She goes outside in a flashback and finds him and he's lying in this very specific position where his arm is slit down, like split in half. And he's got a really bad broken leg. And she injures this Adam character. And then every character who she starts to encounter all these men have the same injury. So again, there is no mystery here. All this is on purpose. Very simple. What starts, the interesting thing is that if you're, if you're focusing on what's Alex Garland going to do next, what's the next line, what's the next way he's going to show the man, you're missing the best part about this sequence, which is what you said, dude. It's it's her, it is almost like a boredom, but I don't even know if we, it's poetry, so maybe you wouldn't take it as boredom, but there is a change in the way she starts to perceive the threat of these men. And it, she does pities, almost- She pities them. Like, yes, it is about, there is a pity, and it started making me, we have a wonderful acting teacher that Jeff and I both had at one point, and I just I hear the word status in my head whenever I'm watching scenes of, of any kind. And and I couldn't stop thinking Notice. about what was happening to to her status because for a large part of the early the early half of this movie, which again is not super long, he is playing with very traditional Hitchcockian suspense, terror, horror, yeah. people outside, watching her, lights going off, doors being left open, real classic things, and they work. He's really good at it. But when we get to this point, you start seeing her realize that like all that status that was taken away from her, which is fun commentary on the horror genre in general, she starts to kind of just get bored with it. And yeah. she starts to... The look on her face, which again, Jesse Buckley, I don't know. I also know that Alex Garland doesn't like talking to actors about intention stuff. He doesn't like directing. He really doesn't. He really prefers it. He said this multiple times. I like actors who are independent, who bring a lot to the table. I don't really want to talk about it. And she has so much of the last half of this movie, she doesn't really speak at all. It's just her 
dealing with this re- absurd thing where all these men start appearing in different forms and talking to her. And every time she starts to take more status away from them, it's like every time they would hurt her, come closer to her, threaten her, she's wielding a knife for the most half of this, the last half of this movie. And she somehow stabs them at the end of every one of them. And it's almost like, this is the essence of this movie for me. And we'll get to it in a moment, but it builds to the very end, uh, which is the exclamation point to the, to this statement that it's almost like she gets kind of tired of having to let these men exhaust themselves with some kind of expression or threat. And then she just has to get rid of them again. It's like at the end of every scene, she's like, and now you're stabbed and now you're going to get hurt. And, and now the, I just have to back up because there's nothing you can do to stop they, me. They come and quicker and quicker, it. right? Like, the, like yeah, the, yeah. Bir- the birthing starts to come quicker and quicker. And it's like, actually, I think weakness and strength is another masculine feminine thing. Like I think historically, at least in human history, not necessarily in lore or in actuality, but in recorded history, you know, it's what is masculine is strength and femininity isn't, which is hilarious because a no man that I know would ever want to give birth. I think that's like the I ultimate mean, no, sign of strength. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. um but her when, when the guy's reaching his arm through right before the stabbing right right before he grabs her arm which is okay so this whole sequence is um she she locks the door which is just like a, a normal like female again she she can't even just like have a, a minute at home by herself like she just the, these guys are everywhere and so go right before it, sorry to sorry to back you up but go right before how does she get inside that might be my favorite sequence in the movie Adam appears to her and blows his seed all over her. Which is the dandelion, which by the which way, is dandelions like dandelions. And dandelions is a weed. And so these are dead weeds, essentially. And with dead, like it's dead so weeds poetic. grow life, but they grow weeds. They grow so you look at a dandelion, like it looks like a flower, but it's not. It's a fucking weed. I, oh, I think wow, it's a very good, I think nice it was a very well chosen. I know because my mom fucking hates them. And every time I saw them, I was like, I had to fucking pick them. She breathes this in though. She breathes in the weed. It goes like slow motion. It's very, hypnotic. very, very poetic and hypnotic. And she almost you can't even you you almost can't even clock how she gets inside. Cool. But it's not done traditionally. It's not in real also, time. She doesn't run away from him. It's 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 really beautiful. So anyway, keep going. She's stuck then, inside. And then, and then Adam isn't this guy who's a stalker and he's he's naked, which is terrible. But he's also not physically aggressive, which is important for this moment. I'm not saying that that's yeah. just, that's okay, obviously. But so she goes inside the house and she locks the door. Also, at this point, Rory Kinnear has changed character. She's already been outside with Jeffrey, who disappeared, and then you know, so like it's she sees Adam, yes, but there's a lot going on. It's not just this one guy. Like we're, we're past the point of obviousness. We're, we're in pure poetic, like we're, we're, we're off the rails here, but she locks the door and this character, the alcohol and the Adam character, even though he has more plants, I, I remind, he reminded me of Silas from, um, uh, yeah. Code, yeah, the guy yeah, who yeah, slaps yeah. himself. And isn't that, um, isn't that the guy who's vision? Isn't that him? He plays Silas? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he sticks his hand through the, the, the letter opener, the, you know, in the, letter the box, door, the door slot, whatever, mail slot. And she touched, she she takes his hand. You could, there's a million explanations for why she does that. You know, I don't think any of them should be like, that's a mistake. It's her fault that she grabbed, he grabs her or whatever, but like she takes his hand. Maybe she pities him. I don't know. He's like reaching and she grabs his hand. And then of course he grabs her, which you could per- perhaps say is like a masculine sign of strength. Like, oh, I can grab you. And then she fucking stabs him. And rather than Alex Garland be like, you got me. No, he pulls his hand out slowly and it gets split open. And 
and now we're just like realism is gone. That's not a, that's not even strength and weakness is gone. And now we're in a different world because all it is now is basically like, how could you do that to me? Again, blaming her for the violence that really came from him reaching his hand. You know what I mean? It's like this. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 so bizarre. It really is like the prism in Annihilation where it's like everything is refracted so much at this point that it's like you go along for the ride. And all I knew from there for the next like five minutes is she goes, she closes the door and then a different guy approaches and then she opens the door. And it's like the monotony of guys and, and she's not her innocence is dead. Back to my my little red idea it's dead it's dead and now she's now she it's to the point where it's not like she's prepared for it she's built her forts it's like just take me like i I know this is going to end up in the bathroom and and it's going to be a confrontation and it's like it's like what she has to do and again i'm not saying that's like the right thing to do i'm not saying men figured this out but it's it was really powerful the way it was done to go into the siren thing with the vicar that we talked about already in that bathroom i would i would even say that this is I wouldn't even say it's full on poetic cinema at that point. Cause it's still, something is clearly happening, but I feel still, I still felt like I was watching a horror movie where we were supposed to know that they were all the same guy. So there is an absurd, this is Cronenberg horror at this point. Now yes, this is no longer in, Hitchcockian because you yes. can see it. You can see, you see it all. It's really the grotesque. It is very Cronenberg, horror. but the real grotesque. All right, so let's keep going just so people can track us. Cause I think we're building towards the ending, which is, going to be tough to unpack i'm curious, I'm curious there's a place the there's a place in this movie where after the vicar scene she does again we kind of return to horror traditionalism she runs out of the house after that scene in the bathroom with the vicar where i said she he says you're an expert at sex and fuck you and she, she eventually stabs him gets some more status back and then it's kind of taken away from her again because she runs out of the house and gets in her car and tries to drive home like tries to yeah. oh, fuck this place i'm gonna leave it false ending yeah and she hits jeffrey the toothy country British guy and just fucking runs him over. He flips over the car, breaks his leg in the exact same way that her ex-partner's leg was broken when she found him after falling. Which was um, a fucking horrifying corpse, by the way. Woo! That, yeah, that was uh, that was Cronenberg. Yeah, that, Holy was, that was Lynch. That was Cronenberg. So after that happens, she realizes Jeffrey stands up and his leg is broken. And you're like, what the fuck? And she kind of runs away. And this is when the moment really happens and uh she's standing in her yard that we've been in a lot and this light the shaft of light is pouring in and it doesn't look realistic at all it's not from her headlights something crazy is happening and then the adam character returns in this amazing sequence where this character starts to give birth and one of the men is born i can't give birth now in 2022 if you listen to republicans men give birth now Jesus Christ. Yeah. Fuck you. Fucking Republican leadership. (laughs) Yeah. No buzz those motherfuckers. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, This, this sequence is where all these, the men start giving birth to each other. So it's not multiple men appearing. It's one man that literally his stomach and gets larger and he goes down to the ground and collapses. And for the first several times, one of the version of the men comes out of where the vagina would be. At one point it comes out, through the back at one point it comes out through the mouth and it is yeah you're right cronenberg body horror this is nate shout out nate and while you are looking at that again that thing we were talking about earlier is so poignant every time they cut back to her she's not like oh my god what am i gonna do she's just so it's almost like she's numb she's looking at it with this just like i don't it's almost like you're asking me to understand and deal with the fact that there's nothing i can do about the fact that, that you're always going to be there that you're never going to stop and that this is just something I'm going to have to, to live with. 
And for a while, it, like it almost got monotonous for me. Like he he did it up to a point where I was like, okay, what the hell is he about to say? Until yeah, same, the last same. one, yeah, the last one is the mouth. And as the feet are coming out of the mouth, you can kind of tell if you're looking because there's a lot of interesting play with the way they light these scenes. It looks darker skinned. These are facts, people, man. What a what a task. It's gorgeous, dude. <laughs> it's, I know. They I don't spend know. A, they spent a year on this of feet coming out of the mouth. Of and once person. again, dude, special effects like visual effects, just like Ex Machina. This was brilliant. Like those, I don't know how they did that birthing stuff, but um, her ex partner. <laughs> it's practical. Dead, okay. <laughs> can you imagine? Her dead ex partner was a black man, and the final birth is you see these feet coming out of I think it's the vicar's mouth, and you can tell that like I, are those. He shows you just a little bit. And then she goes into like the sitting room, which is like her favorite room where one of the first like threats really happened where you saw Adam outside and she's back in there where beauty exists. I'll bring us back to that theme. The piano room It's the sitting room yeah. is the piano room where she was playing the piano at one point she's until the good. memory of her husband, her ex-partner you know, ruined it. So the beauty is taken again and her ex-husband, her, I don't even know if they're married. Yeah, they were married. Because she wanted to get a they're, divorce. They're married, yeah. So this is the end of the movie, folks. All that birthing, the body horror, this thing is happening. Again, you get it. It's There's nothing really, it is poetic. But you also are like, I understand what I'm feeling now. It's not a new feeling every time a new man is born. You start to understand it. And then her ex-husband, dead. Well, they're all coming, and they're all coming out with the split hand. So you know it's the same person. The broken leg, the split hand, the exact same injuries. They all have the exact same injuries. And they're covered in blood and all this stuff, you know, like they're born. He won, He wobbles in totally naked, just like the Adam. And she has that same look on her face of just like she's over it or however you want to read into it. But it isn't shock. It isn't horror. She is aware of what she is feeling and she understands it and she doesn't run away. She doesn't try to escape out the window. She doesn't scream. She just looks at him and they have a very simple conversation where she basically says, what did, what do you want from me? This is the first time she's spoken in like 40 minutes. I mean, it felt like yeah. half the movie, like she really just stopped talking at some point. And she finally says like, what do you want from me? And he just, he says something just like all I wanted was your love or your love. Ugh man and then boom blackout so this whole thing again like we, we really did just describe like most of the movie it's very understandable and then there's this crazy gory poetic sequence at the yeah. end that just builds to this very simple scene where and this is where the poetry comes in for me i felt like i felt like this was this was all about the status and her ultimately realizing that in a world that is create that has this kind of threat of misogyny, she'll never even have the the right to to grieve according to how she actually feels about it. Like it will never actually be up to her to to feel as deeply as she could, even if she feels like she was vindicated by initiating the the divorce or whatever reasons led her to going into that tragedy. The whole point of these flashbacks, folks, sorry, we probably should have just mentioned this again. If you've seen it, you already know, but she, she was trying to divorce him in the, from the very beginning and all the flashbacks, he realized that he was trying to say the whole time, if you divorce me, I'll kill myself. It was, it started with that threat It started with that threat. 
And so it just brought me back to this ultimate gross. I had a smile on my face by the end of this, just because I think Alex Garland was just that simple as essential thing. He was just trying to say uh, that if you are looking for more than this out of these issues that we're having in society about the way we're talking about this topic, then you're searching for something that doesn't need to exist. It's not that it doesn't, or it, it's, it doesn't need to exist. Do, do you think also this is, what what he what he could be insinuating, and I, again, we'll never know. This we'll never know. But maybe he's also saying that actually the strongest, most powerful force is a woman's love, and that's really it's like if if men don't have that, we're nothing. We don't even want to be alive. I think so, there's probably room for all of that. I think it. All, I think there's also their interpretation of because we can't seem to love. Like to actually, we can't stand the idea of like being hurt without, you know, the vulnerability, the lack of vulnerability, you know, men, that we actually, we, we are taking all of our strength from women. I think that could be seen that way. I also, yeah. let's, I could even open it up enough for him to say that there is room for him to, to be making light of the fact that. If you think this allegory is this simple because this is a binary issue, then maybe we're all oversimplifying this. And, you know, I, I, that goes against the whole point that I'm saying. But I think it's possible that he's saying nothing is this simple. And if we don't talk about it and the fact that she doesn't speak for half the movie might be something that he's also saying that, you know, even though these are emotional things, the guy at the beginning in the flashback didn't really have much to say. He got pissed at her. He punched her in the face and he jumped off the fucking balcony. <laughs> so maybe that like this lack of dialogue is actually part of the problem as well. But ultimately I think if this is a, I know what you're saying about like, I want to give the streamers might give us a chance to make movies that wouldn't be seen otherwise, but yeah, I'm, still very, I'm still skeptical of that, but <laughs> I'm skeptical too. But also this is a, this is a challenging movie, and I think a lot of people would turn it off if they were at home. You're right. And I think uh, being a submitting to the theater, like just like putting yourself in it, I think it's kind of necessary for this kind of movie because it is so gory and aesthetically gruesome. There's like there's something to it, right? What do you think about what do you think about the ending? You think it was all in her head? You think that was? Uh, you think that that they want to put that on the table? And do you want? Do you want? Do you think he put it on the table that like when the friend finally shows up? This is sort of like it's like a borderline after credit scene. Do you think Alex Garland wanted to put it in our head like, oh maybe this didn't happen? Maybe it was all in her head, and then you have to sit there and go, wait a second, I I missed the movie if I think this is all in her head. Yeah, this think? is a. T tell me what you're talking about. This is a tag. Like the movie ends with him so, coming so onto the couch and then saying, only, I want you love. Only, and then there's, there's only one woman that she interacts with in the whole movie. And it's a police officer who doesn't yeah, believe yeah. her. Well, he does. It's not that she doesn't believe her. Also, it's very important. And I, and I haven't seen a single review mention this. It's not, not like I got everybody like, Oh, I got you. You didn't mention this, but she never shows the goddamn picture that she took of the guy of, I'll call him Adam in front of the country house in the woods. She doesn't show them to the cops. She doesn't show them to Jeffrey. She doesn't show that picture to anybody. And that's one of those weird movie things that's deliberate. And I wonder why. Because if she showed a picture, there's a naked man who's following it, here he is. If she showed that picture, end of story. This is over. That's a stalker. He's naked, he's staring at her, and then he followed her home. It's done. She never shows it, and that's a very interesting choice. But 
so I'm very curious as to why she didn't show this other woman that because if she said if she you would think she would show again this is this movie's made for men I agree with you if you show this female cop and you're a female this man this naked man I saw him there and then an hour later he's in front of my house naked he followed me home now he's a stalker now you have you can't release him from prison you can't release him from jail which is what happens in this movie but she doesn't show the picture and she doesn't even sit there and goes it's it's about Back to the original fucking allegory of, of Adam and Eve, which is why it was so important that it had to be so obvious, as you mentioned before, is it's about faith. Religion is all about faith. The Garden of Eden didn't happen. It certainly didn't happen the way we think it did. I'm sorry. Dinosaurs came first. They were already around by the time the gardens. You, you know <laughs> sorry, I mean? Mormons. Sorry. Di- dinosaurs Mush- came first. Mushrooms were here a billion years before. Like, uh, come on. Yeah. Gotta be, you got to be realistic here. It's a story. All right. It's not real. All right. I'm sorry. It would take more than a couple thousand years for us to put seven billion people on this planet. Even even if you did the math, there's no way we get to seven billion starting from two five thousand years ago. It's just not possible. So anyway, with this, back to my point, it's about faith. The woman didn't believe her. Why should she have to show a picture of this guy in order for him to not be released from jail because he didn't do anything wrong? And why can't they just you know what I mean? So it's yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's not. And I thought they did a good job of it. Oh, so to, to conclude, we don't see her with the friend until the very end. But if you're the friend seeing this, this fresh-faced female, and all she sees is the car accident and her friend sitting outside, you think this is all in her friend's head. You think it's all in her head, right? And Alice Garland basically is leaving it with a question. Did you think this was all in her head? Or did you do yeah. her? And, and this is – I think he did – <laughs> I think he did such a good job of making this the, all the shit we've been told the poetic the, all that stuff that the literal answer to that question was was didn't matter to me at all. Yeah, of course, by the time of I got there, it's, it's, the credits have already run. He's already his name has already run. Alex Garland has already been said. On the yeah, yeah. What mattered the most to me, which is how I knew he stuck the landing. And, and he, I'll even say, in the moment in the theater, I was like, oh, I kind of wish the tag wasn't there. But well, how I knew he stuck the landing was that for the first time. We visually see that her friend is pregnant. Oh yeah! And I was afraid there was a, a boy inside. It's her. a man. Yes, exactly. And I was like, "Boom!" As soon as she revealed that belly, I was like, "Oh no!" And I think that might have even more to do with the way she looks at her. Uh, Jesse Buckley looks but, at her but friend even, at the but end. But even if it's not, it's going to be another Jesse Buckley, and there's going to be a man that's going to be messing with that person's life. Absolutely, so like- absolutely. I, I, just to clarify, do you remember? Did her because she did send a picture of that cottage and the naked man is standing in front of it to her friend. Did her yeah, friend but, but, comment on it? Yeah, did she recognize? Yeah, they talked about it. Yeah, and actually, I thought it was weird that since they had the connection with the friend, that Jesse Buckley hung up the phone when she sees the guy outside. Finally, which again, horror conventions. It's uh, yeah, I'll yeah, use yeah, scream because yeah. I'm from the '90s. But we have to isolate the guy, them, yeah. when you see the guy outside your house. Yes, it's like the strangers. It's like oh my god, it's such a. It, it's I want to say so fun. Good. This is not a fun. I shouldn't say I shouldn't say fun because this particular movie situation with that is not fun. But in Scream, you're like, Drew Barrymore's going to die. <laughs> like, oh, he's outside. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. And she hangs up the phone rather than sit there and go, oh, my God, they're, they're on FaceTime rather than go, oh, my God. And she shows the friend screenshot it or something. No, she hangs up the phone. Very curious about that. But, yeah, she she yeah, she showed the friend. But the friend essentially for the, for the sake of the movie didn't didn't really exist again for the sake of the movie. Because nobody who could help her saw the picture. Well, and also that I love what you're saying, and and I'll just I'll just push it even further that 
this, that whatever kind of a, thank goodness she's on the phone with her friend, whatever kind of feeling of safety that you might have, because there's, you know, this friend is kind of an Island of reason. Like she, you feel like, Oh my, at least thank she's God talking to somebody as an audience. As an audience yeah. Me. As a surrogate too. Um, it was very effective to me that it didn't matter at all. Yeah. The fact that she did have this person that she could tell everything to. I thought there was any, I wasn't thinking about this at all from an intellectual place. It just, it was affecting me, but looking back, um, what does that say about the fact that even this, this strength that might come from communion between a woman to another woman, maybe the only relationship where they can speak totally transparently about how they feel about what these men are making them, you know, what they're doing to them. It didn't actually protect her at all. It ultimately didn't protect her from herself. It didn't protect her from the men that were around her. It didn't protect her from nature. It didn't protect her from any of these things, which I thought was incredibly poignant. And again, when she finally arrives after they even make you think she's going to get there in time and save you, get out, you know, very much like a lot of these movies where like your friend is coming. Don't worry. They'll be there soon. Until she said how long it was going to take. Four hours. You're like, all right, whatever. Um, But yeah, that was really good. Uh, There was something else you said that made me, damn it. They made me want to say one last thing about the, um, what were you just talking about? The, the safety and the protection. You want me to go friend. through it again? Okay, I so do I, want you to kind of say every single thing you just fucking said, because it made me cued up something. The friend, the friend didn't matter. Maybe it was a woman inside the womb. Uh, it was a girl, Jesse Buckley. Um, faith, nobody in the town who could help her believes her. Um, something about the faith. It was, it was, she didn't, it was she didn't really show good. the picture. <laughs> it's funny that our audience, the cop, exactly what it is. The cop, the cop. Yeah. That was, uh, Again, that, that was good that the it showed the, the woman. Male, and then, of course, the male cop is like looking at her and you're like, oh, my God, the fuck. Of course, because you can't rely on the police. Oh, that's what it was. Thank you. It, the woman is the first cop that she speaks to. But there was a male cop with her partners. Very yeah, realistic. And she runs into the male cop at the pub for the first time. And that line is in the trailer where she says, I saw a man, you know, uh, three times. And he says something like he may not have even seen you once. I think Alex Garland did a really good job. With very little dialogue, thank you. All right, here we go. I know what I'm about to say. Uh, with very little dialogue and a lot of poetic cinema. Thank me. Of thank try- you. Can't wait thank to you. Say this. No, 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 thank you. Of uh, not even treading on the concept of victim shaming, which is such low hanging fruit for a movie that's going to try to talk about this very sensitive issue. It's not complex, it's sensitive. I think he's yeah. right about the simplicity, which took me. Which took me to a place where I feel like it was important for the victim shaming thing, for for not being the victim shaming thing. I think it was important to try to understand um, why what she was going through, (laughs) why what she was going through wasn't, what am I trying to say? It wasn't just that it was happening to her and that she felt like she couldn't rely on on the the world around her to even hear what was happening to her there was some, yeah. this was more than just the scream opening oh, where someone's in the house it was scream, her scream by the way her, her she has like a tony collette scream in here which is like oh my god it's so good sorry it is is no no it's good it's basically just that you said it at the very beginning of this and and i don't want to sound like i'm like i'm criticizing you know some really like successful allegorical films like like get out and stuff but 
I think Alex Garland took a, a very interesting road by not trying to, to talk about the issue. There was no explanations for how you were supposed to feel about these things. She didn't even get a chance to try to seek out understanding. So just to use get out as a as an example, and I still think it was successful, but it got a little talky for me when the last half of that movie was completely dedicated to him trying to literally hear it from everybody's mouth. What is happening? Yeah. What is happening? And eventually it kind of lost some steam for me because of that, just because you can't you kind of can't help. I think we're hardwired when we're watching a movie that you kind of just want to start seeing it. And you don't want to keep hearing about it. And even though there are some super, super effective yeah, sequences and get out. What, you're hardwired depending on what you watch and what you are wired into. I guess so. I guess that's true. But I just I just feel like so I feel so I thought he deserved a lot of respect for trying to say that uh, I'm not going to try to discuss this. I'm not going to put her in a position of such uh, inferiority that she thinks there's a way for someone to actually explain what's happening to her. She never actually said, why are you all the same man? It never no. got touched on. It didn't. It, yeah. It, yeah, it never even got mentioned. And I thought that that was just a A.O. Scott, just to kind of push back on him a little bit. He he literally said like that there were no explanations here and that that might be part of why this allegory actually fails is because it's so simple and it's so uh, because there's uh, it never gets taken to a higher level. He, he made some comment about that, how it's kind of it's sustained, but that's like maybe that's the most it does. And I think that that's actually the glory of it. Yeah. Is that if you allow yourself to just feel it, then you're probably going to have to have to deal with that feeling more than be able to understand it. If you can talk, if you can talk about how you felt about this movie, good for you. You should probably never be able to say exactly what you think Alex Garland was trying to say. That's why it's successful. Yeah. Well, also, it's very obviously the, the reason that the Eve story has to be so obvious is that all the every every other layer is less obvious because they're layering, and one of the layers is going to be your interpretation of it. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a layer of the onion. Eve is the outer layer layer because it's too obvious. It's the poetry, you know, um, laid on the swan, whatever. It's going to be like an inner layer, and somewhere in there is is you, is is where you stand in all this. And, <laughs> and back to the, back to the pub. That was, it's funny because it's tension, right? Tension builds comedy and, and horror and all this stuff. But so to be in the pub, she just wants a, she just wants a drink. Now, of course, this is, a, this is a great play on convention. And this actually comes back to The Lost Daughter, where she just is like, oh, I'm going to the pub. And then, of course, you know, Ed Harris shows up. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, this kind of stuff happens. But how many times people are like, oh, I just want to go to the pub for a drink. And it's like. Here comes hey. a man. And it's trying to here fuck comes you. one man. <laughs> it's seven different versions of the same Every man. man. Yeah. They're everywhere. Like you can't just you can't just be as a single woman in the middle of the fucking English countryside going out for now. I know, of course, that's not entirely accurate. So if any sensitive men out there are listening, yes, that's right. There are plenty of pubs that but I get, but, but, I get, but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, innocence is dead. So if, if it's easy for a man to say, like, you don't have anything to worry about because there's always something to worry about. It is always it's always the same thing. It's that that exactly takes me back. It doesn't matter if that is even subjectively true. Sometimes it doesn't feel like yeah. that. Right. Or right, at right. least I, at least that's what I think around. we're supposed <laughs> to feel. They, I bet you, you have to remember. Yeah. When we were at Elon, Jeff and I went to Elon University and I remember uh, there was a not a movement, but I can't remember. They did it at least once a year where they had this thing called take back the night. And it was a. Uh, 
a march, a gathering in their quad and stuff. It was basically, you know, in support of women literally taking back their right to be outside at night and not feel like they're going to get fucking attacked. <laughs> and I remember like, it was like 18, 19 when I first <laughs> yeah. experienced that. And I was like, I will never know what that feels like. Oh yeah, I, I walked I'll, home late at night all the time, and I thought I, I forgot when I walked people home. I was like, "Yeah, I'll walk you home. This is great." I didn't realize that it, that I I would never have to ask that question. Yeah. So being a so being a guy who like I, I like come on everyone who listens to our podcast like we can only speak about our own experience. I think that we try to be responsible, but we're also like we have a sense of humor. Like we want to be able to joke about things. We want to push back when things get too PC. But every now and then something comes along that is going to affect you viscerally and emotionally. And art, I think, does that really well. So this was just so refreshing to to just be reminded that, you know what, if it feels this way, it's at least important for us to acknowledge that the feeling might be might be very truthful and you're going to have to deal with that. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. And just the, the last thing, the Adam and Eve thing, because like I, I think he was trying to like it was so fucking indicative from the very beginning that you see it in the trailer they they didn't give a lot away in this trailer but like the apples falling out of the tree yeah it's a beautiful like almost classic horrific image that something's happening that shouldn't happen physically but ever since i was a kid i thought this and this movie made me think about this is there any story that has been misinterpreted more than adam and eve it's so clear that that was like written so that men could tell women, why did you do that? You know, you know who wrote that? Human men, not any Human deity of any fucking kind. men. This was not squeezed out of the they, angel Gabriel. Were they this short was, on time? The whole Genesis story really is basically like uh, seven days, the first day, uh, one sentence. The second day. Give me back Once my it, rib and then and stop eating that fucking apple. I mean, it's it, you know what it made me think of? I, I said this to Elizabeth too. <laughs> I am catching up on Ozark. I'm in the yeah. fucking past, so I'm catching up on that. Sure. And there was a line in there where I can't remember what what she was saying, but um, damn it, help me out. What's what's your name? Uh, the wife, uh, Laura Linney. Laura Linney, amazing, talented, incredible Laura Linney. Where she's like, when she's kidnapped at one point, she's like, you know that fucking story. I bet they were just fucking starving, and she did what needed to be done, and she's been getting blamed for it since the blah blah blah. So I just feel like it's again, probably a show of strength. She probably was like, I'll get a fucking sure, show of strength. We can raise it up all we want, but I, I just can't again, just to have the courage to say like, there is nothing that is more recognizable and accessible than the story of Adam and Eve. And Alex Garland just presents it to you. And he's like, deal with the fact that this is so obviously a misinterpretation. And we so obviously have done that for so long that this is why the rest of existence beyond this is absurd poetry. Because if you can't get on with board with the fact that men have been manipulating the truth of our entire genesis, then you know you're you're going to be one of those people who's going to be trying to find a way out of understanding that there is another way to interpret life on this planet as a human being. Also, also be religious. The Adam and Eve didn't happen, right? Look at look how many different colors and different looks we all have. It just didn't happen, guys. God, um, I wish we had our gush button so I could you, gush you on that. Do you wait? Do you think? Um, the serpent was the the um that weird because it was kind of medusa looking it kind of you know the 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 thing in the church that she kept like having the horror images of is that the serpent because the serpent wasn't isn't real in this in this particular story yeah the statue what what is that right what is the statue because they kept cutting back to it i wonder if that was the serpent or if that was 
or if that was like the connection, if that was like the linchpin to help, you know, go between all of the different allegories to connect them all. Cause I, well, they kept going back to it. it I felt more, like it, it was more like Medusa than a serpent, but I don't know. I felt like it was, it did look like Medusa. You know what it but looked like? It looked like a, a werewood tree from Game of Thrones. Exactly what it looked like. I, I think I just thought it kind of looked like, and again, I don't, this is one of those things where I just kind of let that w- like poetry, like I was trying not to be too literal about yeah, what yeah, is that? Cause it was such a wonderful connective tissue between like when they start, he used it to cut back into time past the shadows passed across it. Uh, the light changed across it several times and they would cut back to it. But ultimately I thought it looked like what the Adam character turned into when he started becoming the apple yeah, tree. Started, yeah. I started thinking like, Okay, that shadow was like representing, and again, God, this is so literal. And I don't think you're going to think about this stuff when you're watching it, but what are we talking about? A statue. What is this man becoming? A tree, which we think a tree has life and it's and it's evolving. And what it, put the Adam and Eve thing aside? What is he? What could that ultimately? What we're what we're talking about right now? That it's literally written in stone. That it's going to become hardened yeah. and calloused, and there's not going to be a way to change it. And there's going to be this beauty and this ancient thing upon it. Like you look at a statue in church and you just think that's the truth. When, and you know, in essence, I just think that he was just very, very beautifully poking holes in all of that shit. I don't know what else to say. Guys. Are, yeah. Wrap it up. I love the British yeah. countryside. I wish I saw more of it, but, um, but innocence is dead. So I, I wasn't, my goodness. That sequence when she was walking around the first time was so was really great. beautiful and, and compelling. The, the and the sound. They did some pitch correction on her, they said, but like it, it was great. It was really cool to see. Yeah. Dude, it was the beautiful. Cotswolds. This takes place in the Cotswolds. Yeah, we all know. She had to repeat that several times. Yeah, that scene in the in the tunnel was excellent. Dance um, everywhere. Jeffrey, yeah, this is great. Look, you're only as good as your last film or whatever that the bullshit line is for how yeah, people, not, you know, not true. Not true. yeah, it's not true. And when I first saw this trailer, I remember thinking, why is nobody talking about Alex Garland's next movie? He's pretty successful and it was coming out. And what is this? Like, we're, we're, I guess we're still in the second quarter. Maybe we're not quite in the third quarter, which is a very typical time for, you know, not their top choice movies to come out. Sometimes it's horror movies. And I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be another sleeper. Ex Machina was not presented spectacularly. No, it, I don't think if it wasn't for Amazon buying it, I don't know if I would have seen it. Yeah. They, they did not roll that movie out super well either. No. So I had a lot of high hopes for this. Uh, I can't wait to meet him one day so I can tell him that I really, really, really like this movie. And I would challenge I you guys to go out and try to see it in the theater if you can. And you know what else I would say? You've already, I hope well, you've already been listening this long. So the movie's ruined if you have already <laughs> seen it, but <laughs> Give it a day before you really start to like before your thoughts get before you get before your thoughts get lucid. I know that's impossible because we see movies and we start thinking about them, but sleep on it. I think you should. And I think I think that's gonna prove to I'm you. I'm so glad because I was gonna I, I was I was gonna end up having to see it today and I was like, no, I'm gonna go until I went and saw it yesterday. I'm very glad I had twenty four hours before I talked about it because if I saw it day of I, I wouldn't have thought less of it. It's just I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to explain. It's I, I. It's good to have a day with this kind of movie. It's also. I, I promise to God, this is the last fucking yeah. thing that I'll fucking, say. Yeah, yeah, promise. This is the very last thing. Uh, this is another. We talk about it all the time here. Um, this is not a movie that is driven by story, and that is driven by dialogue. And I think that we are. 
I was very aware. I was conscious of this when we were watching it because my theater was not very crowded at all. I was thinking like, this is the kind of movie that we are moving away from. And you know what? I feel comfortable saying that it's closer to art than entertainment. And I, I just wonder what we're sacrificing by watching Ozark's great. And I'm watching that now and it's a really, really good show, yeah, but TV's I just wonder what over. we're, we're losing by having everything live into this serial episodic nature of what's next, what's next, what's next. And if it doesn't have anything to do with plot that we might be less interested in it. And I think that um, I, I have a feeling when this does go to streaming, that very few people are going to finish it. I think a lot of people might give it a shot if it gets recommended to them and then it's going to start getting weird and they're going to be like, eh, and they're going to turn it off because they want to feel good or they want to feel something right. more understandable. I, hope I mean, I hope you're wrong. I hope the horror carries them through, even though it's a subversion of the genre and it's he's, he's almost like fucking with us with the genre. It's, that's not what this movie's about, but hopefully it does keep people entertained enough to keep going. We'll see. I think it will. All right, man. What have you been watching? I'm going to pimp you out first. What the fuck have you been watching, dude? What have I been watching? Well, last week we went into the vault. <laughs> we went into our stock. <laughs> so I basically had two weeks. You know, I, I it's going to sound like I watched a lot, but I, I rewatched both the Batman and Dune. <laughs> I just yeah. I was curious what they would look like on TV. And I didn't even mean, I think the Batman, it took me, they, they each took me two tries, meaning not two tries as in, I didn't like it. Two tries as in like I had, I watched it like a TV show. Like I, I, two, I broke it into two parts and they both hung. And I will say this about Dune. I can't wait to see the next one. Dude, I told you I saw it twice. And the second time I saw it in the theater, I was like, mm, I needed to see it a second I, time. I was actually bummed because now I'm spoiled by Lord of the Rings and, and those other series where I was like, I want to see what happens next. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't want to stop, even though it's kind of long. And yeah, you could say it's kind of slow. And other people were like, you know, not a lot happened, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I was I, I was I was so on board with the story and it was slow and I was like okay well now give me the payoff. The second movie's always the it's always the one, right? Empire or Two Towers. Hobbit does not count, but like you know, God usually it, the second one. I am so oh, glad to hear you say it. that. Cuz I think I can't remember if I said it on the show, but I remember after we saw it the second time, I remember thinking I I know that if if it's what, you know, what we think it's going to be, I think rewatching the whole one, two, if it's three, I can't yeah. remember. I think it's just two big movies. I think watching those together are going to be awesome. I hope, honestly, I, I say this as somebody who loves the fact that this is an hour and 40 minutes, this movie we just talked about. I hope the next movie is just three hours. They, they just, just fucking they just go, go for it. it. There is a I, lot I that needs to happen. There's a huge sequence that's coming up pretty quickly, the next one. And so I hope they yeah. just do it pretty quickly. And then they go on. And I just hope they give us the monster second movie. Because too many, too often studios break it up into three, four. But they, they overdo it. And so... I think it's just going to be two. I know I think, he's in two right now, and I, I think that's it. where that book ends. And, and Batman, the Batman was good too, but mm -hmm. it, it it definitely felt longer on TV than it did in the theaters. And um, I, I hope the next one is is different. I hope it's almost like an episodic. You know, all I've thought about with the Batman is that chase sequence in the middle. That was that's the only thing I kind of want to just put on and it's put on some good headphones and just blast it. Um, I watched some TV too, but that's pretty much it. What about you? I finished Winning Time. I, I finally remember yeah, I had not too. watched the last episode. Super fun. Hell yeah, think, can't wait gonna, for that. They're going to keep going. Do you think the, it was cast so well? The actors were green going into this, and they just were the parts, but do you think it caught up with them? No, I think it was okay. I thought it worked. I mean, John C. Riley's a hero and legend, Sally Field, even, you know, Jeannie, and and um, who plays who plays the new VP? Who plays, what, what's her name? Um, she's in um, Transparent. She's in Transparent, you know yeah, what, I mean? what is her name? Um, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, but like, Magic and 
Kareem. Um, yeah. They gave them a lot of work and they were cast so well and they were so great and they were so charming. Ten episodes is a lot. And I was just wondering if... Uh, well, they have another season, so I'm very curious to see very where it's going to go. It started to get too theological. It was there wasn't a lot of basketball on the show, which is great. But um, I'm curious to see where they go next. Yeah, me too, because I have no idea. I don't know anything about that dynasty other than they were good and they don't win the next year. But um, but I know Pat Riley takes over, so Adrian Brody just yeah. That's I think game. honestly, if I'm more excited than anything else, it's just because from a distance I, I do know Tracy about Letts, Pat Riley. Tracy Letts is the best part of the. I mean, John Riley was good. they were great. But Tracy Letts, man, he was so good at this goddamn show. He's With so Carrie Coon as, as, yeah, sorry. Okay, sorry. What else were you watching? He's, he is so good. Um, did that, Ozark. And then I watched, um, God damn it, I watched a, a documentary and I can't remember. But anyway, mostly been watching Ozark. Everything you've heard is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm watching it. I am just, out, what I'm realizing more than anything else, though, do is that I'm just, been so busy this year i'm just Good. out of practice with series i struggle I, I i feel like i'm putting in a little bit of work to watch <laughs> fucking 30 hours of television i mean that's yeah I mean, that's i don't feel like i should be guilty for saying that that's a ridiculous Thank amount you. of content yeah. to have well, to when watch people say like you should watch this and i'm like i'm a season behind they like catch up and it's like you just told me to just spend 20 hours on something <laughs> did you you re, didn't you rewatch game of thrones before the final season it was like 90 hours of TV. I know there was a while where I was doing the same thing where I could just sit down and I could watch like six hours of television. Though. I didn't, I didn't watch it religiously. You know, I didn't sit there and be like, okay, now I, ha- I watched it because I knew I could stop it if I wanted to. And of course I didn't. But right now, like the other day, part of the reason I watched Dune again is because I started three different shows and I was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm not right feeling now. any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, t- I, I did I totally that. Hacks this season and Barry, and I, I'm going to get back on both of them, but there was something about those first episodes where I was like, feels a little too written. Yeah. So it feels a little too scripted. Comedies, I have to say this, and I like these shows a lot. The best, I'll just use The Office as an example because it's the most streamed show during the pandemic. Everybody questioned whether or not they were improvising on The Office. The, the, the actors had to say, we promise it was written because we thought it was so Seinfeld. Like you almost forget that there are writers. I never thought that I knew that I never thought that there weren't writers watching these shows. And I really wish I really wish it just felt a little looser. It, it feels like they're all trying to act. And I was like, you cast comedians because they're funny, not because they can act. Let them let them be funny. And that's yeah. where I am. And I, we'll see. We'll see. There's, there's plenty of time. It's early in the season. Maybe they just had to get the storylines going, and then they can have some fun. But I was like, it's just they're plotting, and I, I don't, I don't, you know, we'll get there. Oh, I watched uh, me and Orson Welles. Thank you. Sorry, and? I was li- I was listening to you talk. That's a Richard Linklater is being yeah. featured on the Criterion app right now, and yes, it came, it it's like Zac Efron, and yeah, the guy who plays Orson Welles is awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think everybody needs to rush out and see that movie, but if you like Richard Linklater, and if you're interested in uh, RKO and um, the uh, Orson Welles Theater Company and at the period I, I still had fun and he's got a lot of good movies on there I still need to watch Scanner Darkly but yeah that was what I watched alright that Jason was it here for one of our longest episodes amazing that we'll was see it. you folks next week can't wait John pleasure fun stuff alright film fans take it easy. peace